Hello, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. I noticed in my last message, I got one comment. Some fellow said, oh, your message is so hollow. I think he implied it was boring. <laughs> it's far from boring, I guess. If a person is really hollow in their life and empty, then their life will be boring and everything around them will seem boring because my messages are far from boring. It is true that in most of my messages, though, I give a general message to the whole world. It doesn't matter what your background is. The message would apply to you. But I want to change that a little bit because that becomes usually around a 20 to 30 minute message. Instead, for those that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where you will find a flip book which you can read for free. And it is very original writing that answers some very, very difficult questions with amazing answers that are very unique that you will not find some of those answers anywhere else. Of course, there's a lot of print that's highlighted in red. Those are actually links to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing. Showing from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here. I'm not sharing something just to believe in something, something that is religious. I am sharing what is the truth, what is real, and is highly confirmed to be real, unlike those that are religious or believe in some something that isn't based on objective reality as well as confirmed by subjective experience and lives from many backgrounds totally converted, totally transformed. What I am sharing with you is very powerful for those I'm speaking to generally from whatever background you are in. So when you go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com and you read that book you can go straight to the exact location in all these various videos but there's also a gallery of videos there and the most recent ones i think the second from the top has a lot of really good information in it showing for example that the theory of evolution is just a mastery of deception that is not based on real science it's pseudoscience there is no factual evidence for the theory of evolution and the discoveries especially of recent are so great that it is totally decimated and shown to be nothing more than a mastery of deception and lies if you want to believe a lie because you're not hungry for the truth because you want to be your own little god then you will be deceived and you will end up in a destiny If you do not finally see the truth and what reality is, a destiny of everlasting torment. Because when you reject the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love that is the very source of love, that is the very source of reality, what are you left with? The opposite. And that is worse 
than non-existence. That means your being is taken on a state of being that is worse than non-existence. And what is worse than non-existence? Everlasting torment. A state of being that is hell-contagious, that is self-destructive, that is anti-life. And there are many people believing nowadays things that are murderous, that are hateful, that are anti-life, that are not constructive and fulfilling to their own lives, and that cause not only the hell in them, but a hell around them, that sucks people in like a black hole into their own destruction. Well, I want to share with you that there is ultimate meaning and purpose. And though I'm not going to be giving a big message of 30 to 20 minutes about that, at least I'm pointing you to where you can watch these messages that I have that show you who the one true eternal God could only possibly be. And I briefly mention here he is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love, and that is the very source of creation of all reality and the reason for which all things consist and exist and the reason for which you exist. You see, we weren't created as robots. We were created with the capacity to love, which means we're self-originating. And if we're self-originating, we're self-responsible. We create our own destiny by our own choices. And our own choices can cause us to take on a hell-contagious, self-destructive, anti-life state of being if we rebel against who God is. And who is God? Well, briefly, he is an ultimate perfection, as I said, of love. And I will define this love briefly. This love always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. It innately, freely always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is so pure, is so integral, that as it were, it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is in the slightest contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. This is the integrity or the holiness of God's love. It is the defensive aspect of love. Love will not condone what is contrary to love. It is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption. And corruption is the enemy of all that is good. And you were created with a conscience that innately knows what is good from what is bad. That conscience can be seared. It can be suppressed by beliefs imposed upon you from your background and the belief system that you were brought up in that was in rebellion against God, that rebelled at some point back in history against God. There are native tribes. There are savage tribes all around the world, on every continent, continent. And there is a book written on this, and I have in one of my videos the exact references to that book and where you can get that book and read it yourself for free. It's an enormous book, 
by anthropologists that went around the world before missionaries ever went around the world and recorded the writings of these various tribes. They all talk about a worldwide flood, almost all of them, if not all. Doesn't matter what continent you go to. And it's got all the same basic descriptions as the account in the Bible of the worldwide flood. They, many of them, talk about the time of Adam and Eve when man fell. And they also talk about how they rebelled against God and fell prey to demons and so on. I can tell you the true account, historical account, which is on the internet. I don't have the web, the links right here. I believe it might be in my um, flipbook. I don't know for sure. It's certainly in my book on the internet that you can get, which is on the afterlife, incredible, irrefutable, incredible, afterlife, incredible, irrefutable. There was a savage headhunting tribe in northern India that for centuries and centuries had prophets that told them that there would eventually be a man with white skin that would bring them the lost book of God. And they were never exposed to Judaism and Christianity. They were in a location where they could never have been throughout history. One day, one of their prophets said the man with white skin that has the lost book of God has arrived and we are to follow a donkey and it will lead us to this man. And so this savage tribe, I don't know how many were following the donkey out of that tribe. It's a true account. They followed this donkey which went through treacherous terrain for 200 miles and ended up coming into a little town and standing in front of a well. And they could hear a noise in the well and they looked down in the well. And this man comes out of the well with the white skin that they'd never seen before. And they say to him, through I guess an interpreter or whatever, do you have the lost book of God? And he says, yes, I do. And they are overwhelmed and overcome with emotion that they have finally through all these centuries of prophecy come across this man. And eventually they receive the good news. And thousands and thousands of them turn from bondage to demons and are converted to the true and the living God. The one that I am describing here. These are true accounts historical accounts that actually happened. It's good news that I'm sharing with you. So I am sharing with you about the integrity of God's love, but there's another aspect, and this integrity of God's love is represented in the negative symbol in mathematics, electronics, and in all of nature. And there's also the positive symbol, and that's the other aspect of this love. The negative symbol represents the integrity of this love that ensures an indestructible foundation from which can spring forth creation that can have a destiny without end and without corruption, which we know is, or often is described as heaven or paradise. 
This negative symbol represents cutting off all corruption and an indestructible foundation because love will not tolerate corruption or what is contrary to love. There is the requirement of judgment and an eternal torment if people ultimately conform themselves to an anti-God, anti-life, anti-love state of being by embracing the doctrines of demons that are filled with teachings that promulgate hate and murder and division. But the other aspect of this love is represented in the positive symbol. That God has always had the reality in his being, not just the capacity, the reality in his being, of being so great in the perfection of his love that he could take judgment upon himself for you. And that took place on this little speck of a planet in this vast creation. Yes, God is not so small that he cannot communicate with his creation. God is not so small that he cannot come down in human form and communicate with his creation. We have the historical account in Genesis 18 of Abraham. Now, I want to come back to that in a moment, Genesis 18. But right now I'm telling you that God came into this world in the century of history in Jesus Christ. And he humbled himself more than you, a mere creature on the cross. And he suffered more than you, a mere creature on the cross. And took judgment upon, upon himself on your behalf so that you could choose to repent and be reconciled to God. His body was broken unto death. His blood was outpoured unto death and was shed on the cross so that you could repent and be cleansed white as snow through his blood from your sin. And he rose from the dead and 500 people saw him at one time after his resurrection. Four lawyers set out to disprove the resurrection by writing books against it and in the process were, were converted. And one of the most recent ones was is Lee Strobel. Look him up on the internet. His for death and resurrection were foretold in the Old Testament in detail over hundreds of years, going back to over a thousand years. This is good news. Yes, this love is so great. So God created you with a capacity to love. He created you as self-originating beings. You're self-responsible for your choices. But he also provided a way for you when you rebel against him to repent and be reconciled to him. And that was a reality in God before he created the world, not just a capacity, because God is beyond time and space. You see, one of the aspects of God being almighty to the only thing that can qualify God as almighty and truly God also is that he can be in three personages because he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation. Beyond creation, beyond time and space, he is the originator, which is what Father means, God the Father. In creation, he is the full expression of the Father. The word son means expression. The son is the one and only full expression 
of God the Father into the time and space creation realm to experience it, to communicate with it, and to do as he did through Jesus Christ upon the cross. And Jesus Christ is equally God as the Father. He's just the aspect of God ruling in creation and communicating in the creation realm. And God the Holy Spirit is filling all creation in omnipresence and every dimension of creation. Do you know what particle physics reveals through mathematical analysis of particle collisions such as the one in the Great Big Hadron Collider in Geneva, Switzerland? $16 billion project, product. What does it reveal? It reveals that this physical dimension is very inferior to the fourth. And the fifth is superior to the fourth, and the sixth is superior to the fifth, all the way up to the tenth, and possibly more dimensions. And yet we, in this very inferior physical dimension, feel like what we are experiencing is very real, but it's not anywhere near as real as what people experience when they die. And many people have died, have been with flat brain, brain readings, no heartbeat, some for almost up to two hours, like Dean Braxton, which is in my book. Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, and others. And they say it's magnitudes of time more real in this other dimension. So much so that it's like comparing 2D to 3D. Well, 3D is far more real than 2D. Well, that's how much more real this other dimension is than this 3D dimension that we are in. I could go on. The, my book is better than the bestseller, even though it doesn't have a star rating because no one knows about it. You won't be able to put down this book. It's, I've read the bestseller on, from a Christian viewpoint. Another book out there. I have far more answers, more thorough, different stories, true accounts of people, of course, not just stories. But I don't want to be sidetracked because what I'm emphasizing here is the other aspect of this love. It is in the symbol of the positive symbol, which is the symbol of the cross. Did you know that the last letter of the alphabet in the most ancient languages going back to 1500 BC, earlier to 2000 BC, and so on, such as the Phoenician, such as the Hebrew language that the Bible and the Old Testament is written in, and so on, that the last letter and the symbol, symbolic letters, the original languages are all written in symbols. The last letter is the symbol of the cross, just as we know it today, and it meant a sign or symbol. And it is, it's a symbol of this ultimate perfection of love, that God's love is so great that he could humble himself more than you, a mere creature. And these people that experience the afterlife, like Dean Braxton, look him up on YouTube under NDEs, Standing for Near-Death Experiences. Dale Black's another one and others. They experience such an intense love that they say in that dimension, it's way beyond anything you can describe in this physical dimension. It was so great that they knew that if they were the only ones that God created as Christ was standing before them and loving them, 
they knew that that love was so great that Christ had for them, Jesus Christ. That they knew if he only created them, he would have humbled himself more than them and suffered more than them on the cross. So that they could choose to repent and receive him as their Lord and Savior and be saved and have eternal life. That's wonderful good news for you. Only this will satisfy the core of your being. As Christ said, those that choose to believe with their life into me out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I'm talking about the invisible living water of the Spirit of God, which one truly does experience when they've been born anew by the Spirit of God or brought forth anew by the Spirit of God through crying out from the depths of their heart and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come into my life. I make you the central treasure of my life. I choose to embrace the cross of your love to make you the Lord and the Savior of my life over any loves of this world. And you pray a sincere prayer like that, and you can go to ultimatemeaning.com to the contact page where you can pray with music in the background if you want to do it that way. But you go ahead. Well, I always end up somehow sharing a long message before I get to sharing with those that have come to know the one true eternal God for whom to know is life eternal. I also want to add this though before I go on. There is no love greater than the love I'm describing or that can be imagined that would could be greater. And only this love could be entrusted with unlimited authority, life, and power without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicative that he is the various source. And anything less than what I am describing of who God is is not the one true eternal God because it is less than this ultimate perfection of love I am describing. God is calling you to choose to fear him, to reverence him, to love him, and to embrace his love. He is severe on corruption. He is severe on sin. There is a place of everlasting torment for those that reject his love that he offers to them and choose to believe delusions and lies that there's no God, that there's no accountability, or believe in a false, counterfeit, monotheistic God that emphasizes hating people and destroying everyone that isn't like you. So, my friends, that are those that have received Jesus Christ, I want to share with you now how I share these messages. The Word of God commands us in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, and that is what I choose to do here. I choose to speak as the oracles of God. Well, how does one do that? We are commanded that when we gather together, we are to allow God to speak through us to one another. Not only when we're gathered together, it should be that we practice this in every facet of our life, to be sensitive to what will bring life to others. Not saying idle words that will not bring life to others, but words that we sense are pleasing to God that allows God to speak through us. 
but especially when we gather together. Sad to say that the church is so far from doing this, generally speaking. <clears throat> they so limit God from speaking through each of us as an assembly. It's not just the pastor up there that does the speaking. Every member of the body is to come together and to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Anything less is limiting God. And the message I'm coming to give by the Spirit of God to the churches is that there's no time to limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assemblies, but to allow him to fully inhabit your local assemblies with his presence and glory, to be nothing less than a victorious, conquering bride church in your assembly, to totally have a powerful impact on your community, on your city. And this, when it happens across your nation, will conquer your nation with the good news of the love of God. So there's another scripture that amplifies in 1 Peter 4.11 on speaking as the oracles of God. It says in Revelations 19.10, if any man speak, let him speak. Pardon me. It says in Revelations 19.10, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of a pure heart and great reverence and love for God, we are filled with his spirit. And that results in an overflow. That results in utterances that are beyond ourselves, that are prophetic, because they are speaking forth as the oracles of God. It is allowing God to speak through us by his spirit. God is calling us to all learn to prophesy in the assembly. That is what Paul the Apostle said he desired everyone to do far more than speaking in tongues. And yes, we are never to forbid speaking in tongues. And tongues, when it's out of a pure heart of true, genuine worship to God, sounds forth in beautiful words and beautiful languages. And certainly I don't want to get into talking about these things right now. So what I do to facilitate giving a message to the churches is I cast the lot or cast lots using a random application on the internet. Right now I'm using the uh, random Bibleizer to get the possibility of any chapter from the Bible. And I do it twice now. I could use two applications, but this one is great. So I use it. I very reverently pray over the application, separating it from all defilement, apply the blood of Christ to it. And I cast lots to receive a chapter and then I cast it a second time to receive a second chapter that I might discover the common theme and message in those two chapters that would be for the churches especially gathered together in Canada here and in the United States, but also for all the churches around the world at this particular day and time. And so what I'm going to be sharing here is that I don't prepare anything. I only meditate a half an hour each day on these passages and just paste some scriptures usually, not even notes most of the time. 
So I don't know what I'm going to be sharing today, but I want to share what God has been, has been saying by His Spirit throughout this week. So that is what I am about to do here, but I also cast lots to receive a worship song. Out of 1,080 hymns from this particular hymn book right here, which has those 1,080 hymns. Then I look it up on YouTube, and if it's a good song, it can be played on YouTube, we play it. And so that's what I'm going to do now, and then I will be sharing what God is saying to the churches on this particular day, in this particular time, which is February the 17th of 2024, on Friday evening at 5.07 p.m. Okay, so we'll go to that song now, and then once we're at that song, I will minimize myself and bring this up. So we'll start it. This one's a more common song. Some of them are really great. This one's not bad. It's a good song. It's the one that God wants with this message. So I'll start it first here. Uh, and then we'll go to uh, minimizing. Oh 
wonderful song, and it certainly does fit in with the theme that was coming forth this week by the Spirit of God. And so I want to share with you now what I've received this week by the Holy Spirit's working and God's sovereign power. So we'll just bring that up right now. Starting on Monday, going through to Friday, I want to share with you what God is saying, especially at this day and time. So soon before his soon return, he is calling his people home. I'm amazed that in a time of such great crisis that is happening in the world with the terrible war that's happening in Russia and Ukraine, with so many stratas of society being exposed around the world for their corruption in the educational system, in governments, and so on. I'm amazed that still so many in local assemblies are self-satisfied and don't seem to have that hunger and thirst to want to really come together and really powerfully meet with God. Some don't even care to have church services all the time. I'm shocked. I remember my parents. My mom told me they would go in the snow for without with horse and buggy, and sometimes they had to walk for 20 miles, and they looked forward to their church service, and they, they would go for great distances. And I am appalled that people nowadays don't even care to gather together, some of them. It seems there doesn't seem to be any desperation or hunger or thirst. And yet the Word of God says, that we should be gathering together and so much more so as we see the day approaching. And that we're not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together as some do. Lest we be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. God is calling us home. He's calling us to come together to know the experience of meeting with him and one another and experiencing family and a baptism of, the, of his love <clears throat> that is shed abroad in our hearts for him and for one another as we've never known. <clears throat> so here, first of all, on Monday, I received Obadiah 1 and 1 Chronicles 10. And sometimes I cast lots together, third chapter, because I just read the chapter and I see what it's about and I want further insights. <clears throat> and so that's the case to hear. So in both of these chapters, there's judgment on those that were deceived by pride to rebel against God and his righteous word and also the remnant of his people. And so in Obadiah, it's about Edom and their rebellion against God. And I make the comment here also about it, that it was an Edomite that told Saul about the fact that David had received help from the priest, Abathar the priest, 
And as a result, Saul was so angry that he went and not only slew the priest, but slew all the priests and I think also their families. How evil this man was, that he wanted position and acknowledgement to that extent and felt that a threatened. Wow. That is not the love of God. That is the totally the opposite. And we see this basic principle being played out with positions of corruption in high places right now around the world, where there are those that are willing to sacrifice their very lives to minister life and goodness to others, that are being persecuted by those that are willing to destroy people's lives just so they can be in power and be gratified with their own little selfish self. And it's not only them, it's usually a remnant around them that are so corrupted and conformed to such evil that is the spirit of the Antichrist, that is the spirit that is anti-life and anti-God. And so we read in Obadiah 1, 2-4, Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen, thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. This is speaking about the nation of Edom, which was a smaller nation. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground, though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith Yahweh. Now, what is interesting about Edom is that I remember in the past I did a study as the Lord was causing me by the casting of the lot to land on it way more than normal. And when I did a study on Edom, I found out that there is a remnant of Edom that has been dispersed around the world and that they come forth in the Nazis that was with Hitler, that they come forth in other civilizations and you can trace their roots to the Edomites, an antichrist spirit. That's what I found in my study, and I could show you the exact references and sources, but that was something that I wouldn't go to the time and trouble to do right now, obviously. So there are people dispersed in many places, in high places, that often their roots, genealogically speaking, can be traced back to those that were very anti-God in their state of being, anti-life, anti-love is anti-God because God is love. We continue to read in Obadiah, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. And they terribly persecuted Israel. For ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. This is speaking about the very end of time. Of course, what I spoke read at first was the immediate, but often in the immediate there's a jumping forth to the end of the ages. 
And so we read again various details which will happen in the last days. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, Esau for the Lord hath spoken it. And I won't go on. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. And that is the theme that was, is coming forth in the various messages this week, is pride. And so we go on to see what also I received by the casting of Lot from 1 Chronicles 10, 2-7. And this is the account of Saul being brought to utter destruction by the Philistines. And most of us know about this account. And so this is what is being described here. And I go on in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 to 14, it says this, So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against Yahweh, yea, or even against the word of Yahweh, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it, and inquired not of Yahweh, therefore he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. I don't know why Saul didn't just, just humble himself immediately the first time he failed the Lord before Samuel, instead of wanting to hold on to power and glory and being the leader of Israel, why didn't he humble himself and say, Samuel, I'm wrong. Give David the kingdom right now. I'd rather just repent and be in a right relationship with God. If I failed, fine. But at least I want to be walking in a right relationship with God. No, he held on to power. So I wanted further insight because in both of these, we see people that are deceived by pride to hold on to their self-glory that they are receiving from all people looking up to them and their comforts and wealth and all the other things for a temporary fulfillment. Jeremiah 3, 1 to 15, what do we read here? They say if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return unto me, saith the Lord. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places and see where thou hast been lean with. In the ways hast thou sat for them as the Arabian in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withholden, and there have been no latter rain. And thou hast a whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be ashamed. Wilt thou not from this time cry unto me, My father, thou art the guide of my youth? Will he reserve his anger forever? 
Will he keep it to the end? And it goes on. And I, I won't go on. It describes, continues to describe this rebellion and this defiance. And then we read this in verse 10. And yet for all this, for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but vainly saith the Lord. So there was counterfeit repentance. People really didn't turn with their heart unto them. It was still in their heart to want to live unto these things instead of unto relationship with Yahweh. And yet here is what the Lord says in verse 14. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. God is saying this to his people right now. Why are you still loving the world? Why are you still asleep? I'm calling you. I'm calling you to be married to me. Are you just satisfied with your church service the way it is? Are you just so caught up with all the things of this world that you don't want to really come before me and rend your heart and turn with all your heart unto me and come into this deep love relationship that I want to bless you with? I have a book that I've written which you can purchase on Amazon titled God Headship in Body Invasion by me, of course, David James Thompson. That book shows what you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. There are many people that are disillusioned because they've come to church services and instead of people being filled with love and the reality of God being in their midst, there's been weirdness. Or if there isn't weirdness, there's been deadness. We are living in a time when God is calling his people to return to becoming his house of prayer. To return to becoming his house of holiness, to return to the genuine fear of God. If there's any message that God is giving in these last days, it's the message in Revelations 14 of the first angel that comes forth before the fall of the world system Babylon, and then after that the Antichrist system. Those three angels come forth in Revelations 14. And it is this, it is the message of the everlasting gospel to fear God and to give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and to worship him that has made heaven and earth and all creation. That is the message for this hour, that we are to come and to worship God as never before. We are to return to the genuine fear of God as never before which is a deep turning from the heart that reciprocates the holiness of God as good and recognizes the severity of God's judgment upon corruption and sin to the point that we are undone in our hearts before him in humility and in honesty 
Honesty that derives us to the place, that corners us to the place of humility, and humility that corners us to the place of transparency and honesty before God so that our hearts are truly circumcised and brought, and the fallow ground is broken up. God is calling us to break up the fallow ground. And he will pour out his latter rain upon the soft ground that it may spring forth with much fruit, with many beautiful blossoms, as a garden <clears throat> that he can blow his wind upon to cause those many spices to come forth in these last days. This is the message that God is giving to the church. Stop coming to your little pre-service prayer meetings that hardly any people come to and make your church service a prayer meeting. Get on your faces before God and become more conscious of Christ in your midst than of the people at the front in the program and the singing and humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Be still and know that he is God. Let people begin to pray out after there's been a time of quiet praying personally. Let them pray out. Maybe you're praying personally for 10 minutes and then you start to cry out. You begin to pray out to him, one here and one there, everyone in agreement. And then let the body function freely in its gifts. They don't have to go up to the front and ask permission to use the mic. Let God move and as the spirit rises in one and they don't want to quench the spirit, let it come forth in a song or let it come forth in a testimony or a word of exhortation or encouragement. And let each person share freely and have that liberty that God wants them to have. He wants to move in the body and the leadership doesn't allow it. And that is something that God will not stand for in his church in these last days. He is bringing forth nothing less than congregations that will not limit him, that will go all the way in a love relationship with him and each other. Then the backslider will come that has been disillusioned with the church into our midst. And those that have been bound by Satan will be set free because there will be the presence of God's love and unity there and the word prevailing and prophetic utterance because everyone will be seeking to speak as the oracles of God because they will be encouraged by the leadership to do so and facilitated to do so and wherever the pastors don't want to do this and they want to limit God and just make money God is going to not stand for it in these last days and he will begin with judgment at the house of God are you jealous for his bride as he is may you be may you be may you be On Tuesday, I received Jonah 3 and Judges 7. And it is interesting that I also received this week Jonah 4 by the casting of Lot. Any possibility of any chapter. But this was done with God choosing the chapters by his powerful might. who knows all things and is beyond time and space and knows where every little molecule and atom will be that exists. 
So we have Jonah chapter 3 and Judges 7 here. In both these chapters, there is great deliverance from the enemy by God's people breaking their pride, by humbling themselves before God. Again, it's the same message. God is emphasizing your pride needs to be broken. In 2 John 1, it is pride that stops people from acknowledging that God has come in the flesh through Jesus Christ and has conquered corruption and sin so that we can repent and be reconciled to God. This is the greatest deliverance of all, from a destiny of hell onto eternal life in heaven. So that's just the summation of what I saw in these two chapters. So Job, we know the account of Jonah. He's presumptuous. Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh and to preach to this enormous heathen city. But he detested going to the point that he was presumptuous before God and decided to not obey God, to go and just go to a nice place where he can take it easy in Tarshish, travel over there. I, I don't want these people to receive God's mercy. I don't want them to repent. They deserve God's judgment. That was his attitude. Why should they receive the mercy of God? Why should I go there and them repent? That was his attitude. Well, you see the, the element of pride there, looking down on those that have sinned. And, and sure, it was repugnant and abominable, and it's right to be angry at the evil that people have done and to want them to receive what they deserve except that when we know the mercy of God ourselves, we all the more want them not to receive it, but rather to repent. And so Jonah was excreted out of the whale's mouth on the seashore, and no doubt there was lots of people on the seashore that saw that scene. This man comes right out of a whale's mouth, and he begins preaching, and what, what a sight he must have looked. And he starts preaching as he walks off that shore, and all these people are amazed and think maybe, you know, what is this man that would be coming with a message from God out of a whale's mouth? We better listen to him. And he's saying Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 40 days. And so the king is hears about this amazing man that comes out of a whale's mouth on the shore in front of all these people and is preaching that Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 10 days. And what does the king say to the whole nation or the whole city of Nineveh? He says this, beginning in verse 6, For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. No liquid, no food for three days. 
for cattle, for all people. And cry, and then he says this, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that he, we perish not? And indeed, God did. They truly did do this. They fasted. They cried out unto God without food or liquid for three days. And listen, a person can survive, an average person can survive seven days without food and without water. That's what they have discovered from people that survived seven days crossing a desert in China somewhere when they were fleeing from persecution or something. Brothers and sisters, do you think that would happen today among the churches across the United States and across Canada where we'd be willing to go on a three-day Esther fast without liquid or food? and cry mightily out to God for him to have mercy upon the Lamb? Do you think God would hear if we did that? Do you think that we would ever go back to having church the same way as it was? Nice little comfortable services. Joy, 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 joy. We all, we all want to be so happy all the time. Well, I love joy too, and I want lots of joy. But joy, the real joy the lasting joy that comes from the Spirit of God also knows what it means to weep. It knows what it means to rend our heart and to cry out from the depths of our being unto God in the fear of God and the reverence of whose presence we're in. Man, some people, they're so light and trivial when they come together in meetings. It's manifested in different ways. I don't need to go into it. I think you know when you see it. God is calling us to be conscious of him in our midst. And when you really love someone, you don't treat them as common. You treat them as present, as precious. And you're, when you're in the presence of Jesus Christ, you're not trivial. You're in the presence of the awesome creator of the universe. He is awesome. He is worthy of the greatest devotion and love. That doesn't mean you can't be human. I'm not saying that. That you can't be free. That you can't be who you really are as long as that is in the spirit and in conformity to godliness, to the nature of God, which is this love. So, that's the case, and so Jonah, of all things, is all upset because God had mercy on him. After God having mercy upon him to take him out of that whale, he cried and God had mercy and delivered him out of the whale, and yet he's not rejoicing over the fact that God is having mercy on Nineveh and that they've repented, is showing a root of self-righteousness and pride. We are the nation, the special nation chosen of God, how dare these people receive the mercy of God? Oh, God, deliver us. That we'd have tears for the lost and love for them to see them come to Christ and not wish for vengeance upon them. And man, the things that are being done now, we can understand, yes, there is consequences and there is justice and justice will be served for people that have done injustice as it has been 
unfolding on the news. You only have to go to my website where I have links to very valid news sources that don't lie to you. And you can see what's going on. That's on my homepage a little ways down. Well, I did want more insight. And so God gave more insight. And it again reveals the same common theme of pride. And that's from Judges 7. So this is the third chapter I received. And this is about Gideon. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give to the Midianites, to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me. In other words, they become proud. Oh, I did it. It was our military might that did it. Now therefore go to and proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And it was still too much. Wow. This enormous multitude and the twenty-some-odd thousand was like a little teeny remnant compared to this multitude, and yet God is whittling them down. So they don't become proud and say, oh, look what we did. You see, again, God is emphasizing. When we have victories, at this time when there's such injustice being served to people that are righteous, people that have been put in jail in the States just because they're at the wrong place at the wrong time, people that have been put in jail in Canada, similarly, in Saskatchewan, and so on. All of this, the root of it, the emphasis that we need to see is that we are those that are being brought to a place out of what we're seeing to a place where as much as we take action with all of these things like making sure elections are integral and so on, all of those are very important things to do. But the most important thing by far that will bring deliverance is when we humble ourselves before God as his people, and really repent. I suggest that on some weekend, long weekend, across the nation of Canada, across the nation of the United States, that we come together to fast and pray for three days and cry mightily unto God. I know many of you, maybe you have medical problems when you're older, including myself, which has something right now that I'm fine, but I can still, I would still try to do it. I've done these things in the past and I found that I felt really good actually and very, a little bit thirsty, but it wasn't bad. But anyhow, that was when I was younger. But we can do these things. Isn't it worth it to give it our all? I think it's worth it. I'm not in a position where I can get this message out. But maybe by me preaching somehow in the spiritual realm, this message will get out. For the churches to wake up and to seek God and to never go back to being the church the way they were, but to come into a new order that does not limit.
the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting their gatherings. So we see in all of those, the issue is pride. God is calling his people to humble themselves, to not be presumptuous like Jonah. to be not trusting in our own sufficiency, which is a form of pride, but to obey the Lord like Gideon did. And so again, when I go to, for, I keep, I'm already on Friday, oh wow. No, this is not Friday, this is February, my mistake. Wednesday. On Wednesday, in both of these chapters, which is Titus 1 and Jude 1, although I asked for further insight and got Deuteronomy 5. In both of these chapters, there is warning against false teachers who also are in it for their own self-glory. So again, we see the common theme. So it says in Jude 1, 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And his concern is the false teachers that are leading people astray. And it emphasizes that these teachers seek their own glory and seek to be looked up to, like Saul, for example, that we mentioned. That's what's in Jude. And I could read the whole of Jude, and then I have Titus 1. And so I've got a lot more on Titus 1. And I'd, so I'll read some of this. I, I'm just going to read some of it. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to, be, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers the gainsayers, those that are seeking, have wrong motives in their doctrine. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for money's sake or filthy lucre's sake. And he goes on and says, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. And it goes on. And I want to go to the mo most important parts in here. So we go down to Titus 1, 10 to 15, particularly... In verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses. I just read that. And then we go to uh, verse 1 in Titus talks about this. It's the introduction. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. And what is godliness? Godliness is conformity to the being of who God is in his love, which I have already talked about at the beginning of this message. 
the two aspects of God's love. The holiness of God's love that will not tolerate corruption or sin, which is contrary to love and destroys goodness. And the mercy of God's love, that God's love is so great that he took judgment upon himself for our sins. And the acknowledging of the truth is of who God is in these two aspects of his being. And that is what brings us into conformity to godliness and is after what is in conformity to godliness. And that is what breaks pride, is reciprocating who God is. As it says, as we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And how did we become born again? How did we become brought forth in you of the Spirit? By first acknowledging our undoneness in the light of his holiness, which is the integrity of his love. And out of that deep turning, out of humility before God and reverence before God, we cried out unto him and received his mercy and thus his grace as well. And what does Deuteronomy 5 reveal in verse 29? Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. It is out of the genuine fear of God which is reciprocating who God is first in his holiness and then in his mercy. These two aspects of his love. It moves us to so love God that we keep his commandments not out of religious duty or out of performance, but truly from our heart so that we are married to him in our heart. And then what did I receive on Thursday? Galatians 2 and 2 Chronicles 16. I also received Galatians 2 on February the 9th of, which is not too long ago because this was on February the 15th and I received it again on Thursday. And also 1 Corinthians 10 I received on February the 9th on idolatry. And so what we see here, what do we see here in, in Galatians 2 and 2 Chronicles 16 that is a common theme? And so I want to point this out. I've written quite a bit here, I notice, on this. And so we'll read a bit of this. Basha, king of Israel, wanted to stop Israel from worshiping Yahweh. And instead, worship idols. He didn't want them going down to Judah. And he wanted to set up his own priests and have a calf, just like Israel ended up worshiping a calf at Mount Sinai and fell into idolatry. So he's stopping them from going there by setting up something that will make it more... He says, this is your God. It's a convenient God. You don't have to go all that way, way down there and and go through all the trouble of this long, long trip 
Do I just stay here and worship this God? It's way more convenient. And I'll give you your own priests. You don't need the Levitical priests. We'll just take anyone and make them priests. That's fine. You have all the convenience of your own God here. Isn't that great? So Basha wanted to make worship easy and convenient so they would not learn to endure to come to the right place of worship. Oh, let's just have a nice short little church service. We don't need to meet all the time. Oh, just a little bit here and a little bit there. We love a convenient life. We're comfortable in our lives. Oh, we don't have any hunger or desire for God. Oh, just come together once in a while. Yeah. No hunger and thirst. No desire to meet with God. Just have a convenient life. Well, you can just have church on your computer. You don't have to come together and get to know people and have relationships with people. That's what happens to some people. They get isolated that way. And they forsake the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is, so that they are hardened through the deceitfulness of sin which involves presumption which comes out of pride. Now Asa which is the king of Judah, means healer, and it also means injurious. And what's interesting about Asa is that Asa didn't want the people in Israel to be blocked from coming all the way to Jerusalem and to worship Yahweh. And the first time Asa relied on the Lord, and had great victories in his life over the enemy. But this time, when he tried to get this problem of northern of Israel in the north not coming to worship in Jerusalem solved, he didn't trust the Lord. He ended up in presumption. He fell into the trap of presumption. To trust in the sacrifice of giving great wealth to a heathen king in order to have that heathen king come and attack northern Israel so that the blockage that was being set up there would be destroyed because he was setting up an enormous city where they would come and worship there. And that city was destroyed by Asa giving a bunch of his own wealth to a heathen king. His walk was presumptuous. And as a result, Asa, when he died as the king of Judah, because he trusted in this, in the north, giving his wealth to the northern king instead of the Lord and attacking that city and believing God to bring deliverance. Steady asks for this money because it's more convenient for him. He doesn't have to go through all the hassle of suffering a battle and confronting the enemy and rebuking this enemy for setting up idols and going up there and having war against Israel. No, he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. He wants to have the convenience of just buying off the situation and still have all these people come down to him and worship there. Yes, he desired, he had disease in his feet, which is a representation of our walk becoming led astray 
becoming presumptuous. It says we're to make straight paths for our feet in the word of God, lest that which is lame be turned aside. Are we becoming lame in our walk with God due to wanting convenience and having it easy instead of having that thirst that will motivate us to press into the kingdom of God where we experience breakthrough in our lives personally and corporately to impact our community? and city with the power of God's presence. Now we want to read some of these passages. He fell from trusting the Lord to bring true worship that's pleasing to God by trusting in his own sacrifice and wealth. And this speaks of the works of the law that comes out of the presumption of pride due to failing to genuinely fear God so that we trust not in our own self-sufficiency. So I want to read a little bit of Second Chronicles, because the other chapter I received was Galatians 2. And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of, Syr of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, Therefrom, from henceforth, thou shalt have wars. And it says that Asa was so angry at this prophet for saying this to him that he threw him into jail and oppressed the people of God. And so he dies. He was diseased in his feet. And yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought the physicians. You see the presumption and the error that happened here. Now, there is another chapter that talks about feet that I think has significance. And it is in Revelations chapter 2, where we read this. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. And brass speaks of judgment. We walk in the paths of judgment. We walk in a path that is refusing to be compromised, to go to the right hand or to the left. We receive the embrace of God's agape cross of love and deny ourselves to experience trial instead of going in the path of ease or the path of legalism. And so what happened to the church of Thyatira? They refused to reprove Jezebel. I know thy works in charity and service and faith, 
and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first, notwithstanding I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Pres if we are going to walk without presumption in the paths of the Lord, we don't flee like Jonah and fail to preach repentance and reprove the unfruitful works of darkness because we're afraid of offending people. And we don't become dictators on the other hand, where we oppress God's people and reprove them out of our own self-righteousness. No. It's out of great humility and tears with meekness that we seek to restore one another. And so that is the two passages that I received on Wednesday, and that is what God is saying by his Spirit to the churches today. In 1 Corinthians 10 that I got, I just mentioned that that's what I got when I got Galatians 2, and it was on idolatry 2, and that is what this is. We fall into idolatry when we fail to walk in the fear of God, to walk in the ways of God. And this is the case with the Galatians. That's the other chapter I received with the account of Asa and Basha, the king of the north of Israel. And what do we read in Galatians? For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Asa trusted the Lord the first time. But then he built again the things that he had destroyed at first in his life. Asa was to destroy the idolatry that was stopping northern Israel to come down. And he failed to destroy it in the very real sense that it should have been destroyed because it should have been him that trusted the Lord and not trusting in a heathen king to destroy that which was leading God's people astray into idolatry. Now this is talking about the law. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. The law, if we focus on it, instead of in our... On, in loving God, for God in the context of giving the law commanded Israel to love them with all their heart and mind and being and strength. He didn't command them to just bring some performance and get their focus on doing something when their heart was far from them. He wanted their heart. And when we get our focus on just performance, we find futility in a relationship with God that can drive us to the place of being repugnant of the law because the letter of the law is not what God wants. He wants the spirit of love for him that fulfills the law. 
But when we die on to performance, and we come to the end of our own self-sufficiency and ways of trusting in our own pride and self-righteousness, and we say, God, I give up, and I just want to love you. Set me free from all religious duty and, and self-merit. Then we can live unto God. Then we experience knowing his mercy. Because we know how we deserve death as Christ died on the cross. And so we identify knowing how we deserve judgment and death as Christ experienced on the cross. We experience identification with his crucifixion. So that as it says here in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith that comes from my moral persuasion in the Son of God. Faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Righteousness does not come by trusting in our own ways, in our own self-sufficiency, to fulfill God's righteousness like Asa trusted in his own wealth, to think that that would please God to cause Israel to worship the true God instead of idols. What breaks idolatry? is the genuine fear of God that reciprocates who God is out of a love relationship. It is faith that works by perceiving the love of God aright first in its holiness, out of which we then can know the mercy of God and the grace of God that then allows us to grow in that relationship of reciprocation, of faith working by love. God is calling us to be those that know a relationship with him that causes us to be bold and fearless as a lion so that we hate what he hates and we love what he loves because we are conformed to his being. And that happens out of abiding in him, not out of performance, not out of just convenience that if we do this and this, then God will be pleased with us because it doesn't work that way. It is out of truly wanting to seek God and love God and know God. Now I'm finally coming to Friday. The last in this message. And on Friday, I also got Jonah, which is it was this time Jonah 4 instead of Jonah 3. And I received 1 Chronicles 21. And then I wanted further insight, and it added further to what the message is, which was Psalms 123. So first of all, I'm pointing out 1 Chronicles 21, because in 1 Chronicles 21, we have the well-known account, if you're familiar with the Word of God, the Bible, of David, the historical account of David, who committed the sin of presumption because he brought 
he was brought to a state of pride in a time of ease, as were the people of Israel, due to their great military successes and might, and also the fact that they were at rest and at ease. It is interesting that I accidentally cast lots before this and received a chapter which I somehow didn't, I, I got lost. Okay, I saw it and I didn't memorize what it was, which is why I had to do it again. I got, But when I did cast at that time, I saw what it was about and it was about, I also received the historical account of King David committing adultery with Bathsheba before casting of the lot to receive this chapter. The presumption of Jonah was also rooted in pride that was self-righteous in his case. He presumed to flee from the presence of the Lord, and we already talked about that. And I won't go into that because I've already preached on that. And Jonah 4 is just the same about that. But 1 Chronicles 21 is the account of King David. And I have a bit here that we can read of that account. Which I've already described. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. Because why? Because King David decided to count how many people were in Israel to know how great the armies of Israel were. And God was displeased with this, and so was um, Joab, I believe, his captain. He was really displeased. He knew it was not of God for King David to do this. He said, David, why are you doing this? Why was David moved by Satan to do this, as it describes in another chapter? Because Israel became proud of their military might, and they were at ease. God have mercy on us that we would ever trust in our military might as a nation in the United States. And be at ease instead of Knowing the greater rest, it says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But you are trying to be at ease, and in your attempt to be at ease, you are on the spin, the, the treadmill, the treadmill of trying to make money, to trying to make ends meet, the treadmill of trying to do this and that because you want to live your own life out of what you think God wants for you, but you've not laid it on the altar before him. You've been presumptuous. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel because King David counted Israel. Because he also was moved in the same spirit of pride and of presumption because he was at ease. Now, it doesn't mean that every time we're at ease, we're going to fall. God wants us to know, in the midst of abundance, a deep and an overcoming, abiding relationship with him, so that we are not deceived like the church of Laodicea. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it, and he was destroying 
And the Lord beheld, and he repented of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough, stay now thine hand. This was a disease, a pestilence. It was killing multitudes of people. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel who were clothed in sackcloth, you see in those days, they really humbled themselves. They really did clothe themselves in sackcloth. And they fell on their faces and they didn't just do it outwardly. They were turning from the depths of their heart before God and humbling themselves. And David said unto God, which is the Almighty's referring to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the original, the word Elohim. It is, is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered, even I, it is, that have sinned and done evil indeed? But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord, my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on thy people, that they should be plagued. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite. And David went up at the saying of God, which he spake in the name of the Lord, and Ornon turned back and saw the angel and his four sons with him hid themselves when they saw the angel. Now Ornon was threshing wheat. And so we know David offered his sacrifice there. And it says this, at that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornan and the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there for the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made in the wilderness and the altar of the burnt offering were at, the, at that season in the high place at Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Wow. And then what did we get in Psalms 123 that adds to this? Listen to this psalm. This is what God is saying by his spirit. Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until he have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Yahweh. Have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. This is what God is saying by his Spirit to the churches this week. That, the, that those in high places are corrupt and they are proud. But we need to turn to God and cry out unto him for mercy. We need to be in that place where we humble ourselves and return to the genuine fear of God and never go back to being the church the way it was, brothers and sisters. Thank you for listening to this message. God bless you. Remember my book you can purchase to support me. On Amazon, I need reviews. It's a really good book, very interesting to read. I'm sure you'll give me a good review.
There's a few mistakes I need to correct. I'm going to do a revision. My other book, God Headship and Body Invasion, which you can get as well. It looks a bit different than this now on there. Thank you for listening to this message, and God bless you.